You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. So if you'd like to turn there uh, and get yourself ready, um, I'll try to preface just a moment for that. Um, we have now entered into the parables, okay? So for the next several Sundays, um, maybe throughout the summer months or so, we're going to look at various parables um, that uh, Jesus gave us in the scriptures. Um, now, the parables are, uh, they are absolutely like gut-wrenching, challenging. They just turn you upside down. They just, they make you mad. Uh, you know, I mean, there's some hard stuff in there and it carries a punch. And, uh, and we're not, we're not going to try to soften that up over the next few weeks. We're really going to take this seriously and look at at uh, really what it is that, that God is really challenging all of us to take to heart. Uh, hopefully, this is going to be a time when you're really, really going to uh, let God search, and let God, you know, just really get in and, and look at you and uh, let you see yourself for, for where you really are. So we're praying for you. We're praying that God will really, really help you to, to be obedient and to be uh, willing to surrender yourself to him. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. You pray for us. Pastor Dave and I want to preach these with, in a very insightful way, a very life-giving way, and yet at the same time, we don't want in any way to diminish the impact or the, uh, the spiritual uh, uh, severity of the parables, all right? We really want them to, to grab us all. So, uh, with that in mind, um, let's just pray again for a moment, and uh, we're going to get right into this particular parable today, okay? Father, would you uh, just still us and quiet us now for a few moments? Would you help us to uh, yield our hearts to you? Would you, uh, would you open us up right now, Holy Spirit, and and uh, speak life to us, and, and yet bring the challenge of truth into our hearts and into our minds. Would you give us understanding? Would you help us, Lord, to be able to let you do amazing things in us, God, as we go into your word? I, I want very much, Lord, to lead in this challenge. I want very much to surrender. I want very much to... Um, to humble myself and to let you, to let you bring light into the dark corridors of my own heart. I ask you to help me as the, the senior pastor of this body of believers. I ask you to help me to, to lead in humility and to lead in obedience. I ask you that you would help all of us, that we would not only surrender to you and, and, and submit to you and be obedient to you, but we would do the same to one another as the body of Christ. So I pray that this would be a, a tremendous journey for all of us, Lord, and that we would grow deeply out of this time. And I pray for those things that you have to speak to us, that they will speak with life and they will speak loud, and they will speak clear, and that they will have impact, and that they will bring change, and that it will give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, let me just diminish today and let the Spirit of Christ increase in me that you may be glorified and we may be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 8, and uh, I'm going to 
I'm going to read verses 5 and 8, and I'm also going to read verses 11 and 15 here. And, uh, and then we're going to try to unpack that just a little bit, and then I'm going to uh, kind of bring, bring it to a close uh, after that and uh, turn things back over to Pastor Dave for a few moments, okay? So let's just, uh, let's just sit back and let God do something here. Any given day of your life, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed to millions of people. I mean, every, it, it's, God is being proclaimed around the world today. And as we referred to technology a, a little bit earlier, you know, it's amazing how much the gospel is going out, you know. Uh, some people may, may hear it here, like in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, as we always share the gospel. And that's something that we're very intent and very uh, diligent about doing, very intentional about it. All right, some will hear it on, on a, a radio program or a television program. Some will, will see it on their iPad or, or on their, their MacBook or whatever. Um, they may read a book. They may read an article in a magazine. They may hear it from a friend. They may hear it from you or, or from me, all right? But uh, it's all the same message. It's the message of the gospel. But we find people responding in very different kinds of ways, to this gospel. Not everyone uh, responds in the same kind of way, all right? So my question to myself is, is why is it that, that two people can go to the same church, they can hear the same message, but they can have different responses, you know? And uh, why is it that one person gets transformed, you know, uh, while another person is barely affected by things? Why does some turn from their sin and others continue to live in their sin? And uh, I think that Jesus addresses this in this particular parable. I think he tries to answer this for us and he tries to help us here. And um, I think it's very important for us to, to, to get the insight of Jesus, you know. And all through this parable, as we break it down here over the next few minutes, I would like for you to be posing a question to yourself. And that question is, where am I? Where, where am I sitting in all of this? You know, when, when God came to Adam after Adam had, had fallen, he said, Adam, where are you? And, and we all know that, that in, in the, the sort of normal sense of that, that question, God knew exactly where Adam was uh, in that moment in the garden. But the, the question is being posed to Adam, and I think that, that God wanted Adam to take inventory or to look at himself and to look at where he was, where, wh- what was going on in him, what was happening, what was his condition, not just where he was in some geographical location, but, but what, is, what is he all about? What is going on inside of him? Where, where are you at? Uh, and, and especially in light of, of the Lord. You know, where, where, what is your relationship to me now, Adam? Where, where are you? Where, have, where, where do I find you now? And, and I think also, though, sometimes, you know, have you, have you ever as a parent um, said, let's play a game with your child, and, and they say, okay, I want to play hide-and-seek. My children always wanted to play hide-and-seek, you know. And it was amazing because they would hide, like, behind something like this, you know. And they, and, and they would wait for me to come and find them, you know. But it was like they were, they were hiding, you know. Uh, and and I, I, would, I would say to them, I, where are you? You know, 
Daddy's looking for you. I'm coming to find you. Where are you? And that question of where are you was really more of trying to help them to realize and understand that I, I was looking for them. I, I was looking for them. And I think that God is always looking for us. Yes, he knows us. Yes, he knows where we are. Yes, he knows our heart. But there's this sense of, of him wanting us to understand. In some way, he wants to communicate to us that I'm always for you. I'm always going for you. I'm always after you. My, my arm is never too short for you. And so we have the gospel. And that is the heart of God, is to share the gospel. And he does that through you and I. And one older writer once said, you know, it's amazing to me. God has decided to spread the gospel. He has decided to use men and women to do that. In my opinion, he has chosen a most useless creature to do it. And yet, but that is what he has done. He's used fallen man that is redeemed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And so that's where we find ourselves today. We are plopped down in a neighborhood of our city to share the gospel. And God wants us to do that here and abroad. And so we find ourselves sharing and caring, and at the same time we realize that people are responding very differently in very different situations. And so Jesus speaks to the disciples, and these are some of the things he has to say. So let's look at it for just a few moments. Let's go to Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, and uh, let's just uh, read this together here, all right? <clears throat> a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. A hundred times more than was sown. And so, as Jesus shares this, some of the disciples are not quite sure what Jesus is saying, and so they ask for an explanation of this, and Jesus then begins to explain the parable to the disciples, and we pick up that explanation in verse 11, and he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the life's worries, by riches and by pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. All right, let's just unpack those four for just a moment here, and let's try to answer that question of why people respond differently to the gospel. And I want us to sort of hold on to a couple of questions here that, that I hope will get answered as we go through here, and that I will try to answer this morning for us, and that is, that why do people respond differently to the message, but also why is that important for us to know? 
Why did Jesus share this with the disciples? What was his reasoning, his purpose for for talking to the disciples about this and sharing this with them? The first kind of soil is is the one on the hardened path, all right? The the fields in Israel were often very narrow fields where they they would plant and, and they were divided by little walking paths. And those little walking paths had gotten beaten down over the years. And you may have seen that in your own yard. If there's a place in your on your lawn or in your yard or in a field that you have around your house or something, and everybody walks that particular little path, that particular dirt gets really hard. So hard sometimes that it's almost like cement. You know, it's just really, really packed down. And this would be like uh, the, the, the seed in our day that would be thrown on some path like that by our house or, or, or on a roadway where cars and trucks have, have gone along. I, I remember... And my father wanted to, to remodel our home, and he had some trucks come in and bring things in. And uh, they made a path from the road behind our house. And at that time, there was an open field or an open lot there, and those trucks came in. We were the first house built in that particular little area. And so the trucks came in, and they made a little path. And, and it was weeds, and the weeds got put down. And so there was like the weeds laying in two little tracks along the path. And uh, then after a little while, another house was being built, and another. And each time, those trucks, for whatever reason, took that same little path. And after a while, there were no more weeds growing there at all. And then after a while, it was very, very hard. And then a house was built in that same area. And uh, the, the lady, the older lady who, who owned that house, she was very frustrated one day. And I remember my dad saying, what, what's bothering you? What's, why are you so upset? And she was out in the back, and she was swearing in her backyard. She's just walking around swearing. And my dad said, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? And she said, oh, those such and such a trucks. She said, they came through here all these years, and now I want a garden, and I can't have a garden because nothing will grow right here. Nothing will grow. There are some people who will hear the gospel, but they will have no response because their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard. They're closed to insights and, 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 and they're not receptive to truth. They're, they're, they're just those kinds of people, all right? They, they, have, they have life sort of, you know, figured out. They, they, uh, they aren't open to anyone pointing uh, them in another direction, you know. They, they've concluded that the gospel maybe is irrelevant for them or that it doesn't work. Or maybe they just decided they don't want to hear it. They've trained themselves to tune it all out, all right? And, and surprisingly, you may even find these people in church. Someone could be sitting in church around you that is this way. And so nothing ever impacts them. Nothing ever gets into them, all right? They, they, well, you, know, you say, well, why would they be attending church? Well, they may be attending church because their spouse attends church, and they go with their spouse, all right? They may be coming here because it's the expectation of their parent or, or, or something like that, you know? Um, they may be involved in the community in some way, and they just need to keep up appearances, and so they want people to see them coming to church, all right? Um, they may be logging in some time, just thinking, oh, this is going to be points for me, so when it is time for me to, to die, uh, maybe I'll get into heaven because I'll have earned enough points or gathered up enough uh, you know, points with, with, with God or, or, or something like that. But their heart is hard. These are people that have the seed of God's word presented to them, uh, but they aren't interested, or they're cold and indifferent, but they certainly do not let it in. 
And uh, I, I want to encourage you today because I, I know what some of you are saying right now. Yep, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that there are some of those people right around here somewhere, you know. Uh, well, there are those kind of people around everywhere, you know, wherever you go. You're going to encounter some of those kinds of people. But be careful about judging, all right? Let's be very, very careful about looking at someone and deciding that that is a cold-hearted person. All right. Uh, they, they may appear that way in the externals and they they may be uh, gruff and they may be harsh and they may be hard, but they may just be wounded. They may just be a hurt person. They may just be so afraid that they have such a, a big wall put up in front of them. And the key is just letting God give you the strategy to know how to get over that wall or maybe even to bust that wall down so that they are once again open. Their hearts can be changed even though their hearts are hard. So even though you're, you're thinking, okay, you're telling us, and, and I, see, I know how you think because I know how I think. That's the only reason I know how you think is I know how I think. We're humans. And probably I think even worse than a lot of you think sometimes. All right? Uh, because I'm really human. Some of you are almost like God, you know. I'm not. I'm, I'm very human. So I doubt. I question. I get afraid. I resist. I disobey. I promise God and don't come through. I try to make deals. I try to barter. I try to get out of things. I try to get into things. And sometimes I think, okay, God, I know I'm in this neighborhood, and I know I'm here for a reason, and I know I'm here for a purpose, and we're to make disciples, and we planted this church here in this neighborhood by your good grace and, and mercy and goodness and love and, and generosity and all those kinds of things, and this is where we're at, and this is where we do it. But I wake up some days and say, yeah, but God, I'm not so sure we're going to get very far not so sure we're going to do too much. Everybody I meet's hard. You ever do that? Everybody. You know, you meet one person in a, in a situation and there's a multitude of people around you, but because you met that one person, you formulate an idea or, or, or an opinion or a belief, and then you go, well, everybody thinks that. Everybody is like that. You know, we just generalize everything so big. And so you encounter someone and they, uh, they're a little rough around the edges, and immediately you're like, well, that's the way everybody is. You know, that's the whole doggone neighborhood. That's the whole city. You know, that's, just the, that's the world today. It's a hard world today. But it was a hard world in the day of Christ. It was a very, very hard world. I tell you what, I'll take my day over the disciples' day any day. And I want to challenge you. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. Oh, I love that. That gives me such great hope for myself and for those around me that I'm called to share the gospel with and make disciples of. God's in, God is able to take the hardest of hearts and go in there and remove it. Just take it out and replace it with a heart that is tender and able to receive 
And if you're one of those people and, and you've sat here and, and you know that your heart is hard and you've, you've closed up for whatever reason, take heart today, all right, that God can change you. You're not, you're not beyond change. It is, it is yours. It is available to you and I to let God change us and, and to give us a tender heart. The second kind is, is that rocky ground. When the seed falls on that, that rocky ground, that it represents that sort of superficial hearer, that, that shallow hearer, that person that has no depth. All right? It's un, unlike the, the, the first group. These people actually receive the gospel message. All right? It actually comes in and... and, and it seems that they may even receive it with some sort of enthusiasm or some sort of excitement, all right? But it tends to be very short-lived so that when difficulty comes along and, and the novelty of it all wears off, these people just sort of drift away, all right? They have a conversion experience. They have something that goes on. And for a while... Um, these people seem even sometimes bold, you know, they're, they're standing up and they're rocking for Jesus, all right? But then all of a sudden, the interest is gone and, and, and they start to, start to, to drift away. Uh, their faith is shallow, their faith is, is superficial, you know, that fire is now just ash or ember. Unfortunately, these people... Um, they may be convinced that they're going to heaven because they prayed the prayer or they walked the aisle or they got baptized or they did something, they, they went through some form, they went through some function, if you will. These things don't save anyone, folks. You're not saved by the things you do. You're saved when you confess Jesus as your Lord and you live out that salvation daily with him. Now, there are occasions in Scripture where Jesus and others talk about counterfeits, about fakes. Patrick Morley, in one of his writings, talks about, he uses an illustration of a drug manufacturer. And he talks about this new drug for migraine headaches. And they, uh, they go through the research and all of that. And, and the idea was that, that with this new drug, within one hour of taking the drug, something like a whopping 70% of the test patients had little or no pain. It was a remarkable breakthrough for people who suffer from migraines. 70% um, of the people who took the actual drug uh, recovered well. Now, the interesting thing, though, is that there was an equal, equal number of test patients who took a placebo, a fake, if you will, and actually 29% of those people got better, too. All right? Um, they declared that they were better, that they, it was gone. It's, my headache is gone. But in a short little while, the headache was back. It was, a, it was fake. It was a placebo. You know what? I think in the day and age that we live in, it's an unfortunate reality that there's a, there's a placebo gospel out there. There's something out there that people are grabbing a hold of, and it's not the gospel. And I want to tell you something. The Bible is very clear about that. There is no other gospel. There is only one. And cursed is anyone who brings any other gospel into the equation. 
Because there's only one. And I want to challenge you and I that we live in the true gospel. And let God speak to your heart based on the word, based on truth. Not based on somebody's perceptions. Not based on someone else's higher revelation. I'm going to be, I'm being, oh my goodness. You have got to be careful. Beware. For those who come to you and say to you, yes, but we have a greater revelation now. And I'm not saying that the Spirit is not speaking to the church. I believe the Spirit is speaking to the church. But I'm not certain that all of this transformation that is going on out there is from the Holy Spirit. And I think... And my guts are telling me that a lot of what the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to the church today is more about reformation than transformation. And I want to challenge us that we, we guard our hearts from something out there that is placebo spirituality. And it's a feel-good, and it's okay for a little while, and it gets everybody excited and worked up, but it's short-lived. Lest we make disciples. Lest we see lost people saved. We're not fulfilling our vision that God has given us as a church. The fake, the the placebo, it, it can produce benefits for a little while. But just as this parable says, it, it, it doesn't last. And unfortunately, there are some who have become professing of Christ, but they haven't really taken the real medicine of repentance. They haven't really allowed God in, and they haven't really been obedient to give over their lives to holiness and righteousness and purity and integrity and all of those kinds of things. And so they haven't really placed their their faith in the Savior of Scripture and truth for their salvation. Instead, they have placed their faith in an experience or in good deeds or even in vain imaginations of what Jesus and the Spirit might be like and might do. And it's not based on Scripture. If you have the real deal, your life will indicate it. There will be evidence. It may not be right away, but there will be evidence. And my friend, it will not fade. It will not fade. The seed and the thorns. That distracted hearer. He he hears, she hears. They're the third group of people. They're, They're attracted to the gospel message, but they never get around to getting really serious about it. And this isn't a Debbie Downer here now, but, I, but there's a point in the time where we can't just, just live out of a feel-good moment. We have to get serious about serving God, and we have to get serious about making a difference, and we have to get serious about impacting the earth. There are people who are dying, and they're lost. And we need to become burdened for that. We're talking now about the people who have a divided heart. They receive the truth, um, but they welcome competing truths. They're, they're as equally open to other things. They, they, they don't even really know, some of them, what they actually believe. You'll find people in this category, oftentimes they affirm all kinds of belief systems, all right? 
uh, even though those systems may contradict one another. They're, they're very open. This is, this is the group that, that would be considered politically correct. Oh. They know they need a spiritual life. They know they need a relationship, but they're unwilling to really commit to Christ. I heard one pastor talk about it this way once. He said, it's, it, it's like the, 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 the person who has a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and we'll use, we'll use the case of a, a, a young lady who has a boyfriend, but she still wants to know about Johnny Real Good over here. You know? So it's like, this guy comes to her and he says, hey, sweetheart, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. I want you. I don't want anybody else. Now, I'm not rich like, like Johnny Realgood over here, and I don't have all these things that Johnny Realgood has, and I don't have a big fancy car like Johnny Realgood over here, and I'm not as handsome as Johnny Realgood over here, and I don't have the bank accounts and the inheritance that Johnny Realgood has over here. But I love you with all of my heart and I want you for me and I want to take you to be my bride and I want to spend my life with you and I covenant to you and nobody else ever and it's you and me all the way. And she says, oh, I love you too. That makes me feel so good and I'm happy that you love me and could you tell me a little bit more about Johnny Realgood? We want God but we really want someone to tell us about the world. I, 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 I want to be called a Christian. I want to I be known as faithful, but I just, I just want a little bit of that world out there. It doesn't work. You, you, you can't have that divided heart. No, Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or or love the other. He will be devoted to the one or he will despise the other. You can't do both. You cannot serve both God and, in this passage, it says money. We're not relegating everyone to be poverty-stricken and poor here. That's not what but you need to understand that every good gift comes from above. And foundationally, you position yourself in Christ and you let everything else that comes to you come out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. And we close our hearts up and we pray the same prayer that was prayed in Scripture. Give me singleness of heart. That that you promised me, God singleness of heart. So I'm not looking to the, to the right or I'm not looking to the left. I'm not looking out there somewhere for something else. Singleness of heart is needed in the church today. If you and I can live in singleness of heart, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, we will make an impact. We will make a difference. When we are gathered together in unity and accord and we have singleness of mind and singleness of heart to do the will of God and to go out and make disciples, I promise you God will respond to us and bless us and impact our lives so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. The last one is the seed that falls on the fertile soil, the responsive here. So what is a true believer? A true believer is one that hears the truth and accepts it as truth. They feed on truth. They they live out of truth. Truth is satisfying. Truth is good. 
They re- receive the message of salvation and repentance. All right? They apply it to their lives. They, they get in the word of God. They, they recognize themselves as real sinners and needing of the grace of God that can only come through Jesus Christ. They humble themselves. Literally, I think, that in, not literally, but in, in a sense, they throw themselves at the mercy of God. They don't just, they don't just wait, you know, hey, God, if you will, come to me. Now, they realize the need they have for God, and they go to God. That's that, hopefully, that is you and I. That as we sit here today, we can, we, can, we can at least say, that is me in my heart of hearts. That is, that is how I want to be. And even when I am not like that, God, would you help me to get like that, to become like that? The, the desire of my heart is to be a follower. The desire of my heart is to be a servant. The desire of my heart is to give myself, to offer myself as, as a, a living sacrifice unto you. And so that is in me to do that. Now help me to, to do that in, in whatever best way possible. These are people who come to Jesus and they say, Jesus is my Savior and He is my Lord. I put myself under his authority. I put myself under his dominion. And they begin to evidence this transformed life. These are the people who bear fruit. Jesus said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. In other words, you will keep on bearing. You won't wither. You, you, you won't dry up. Your roots will go deep and you will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. These are people that are used by God and they, 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 because they have come out of darkness and turned from darkness into, into light, because they are making an impact, because they, they, their, their love and their compassion and their consistency for God is making a difference and people are seeing that and people are being changed and they, they have hope. All, because of all of that, God is using them. God will use us as life church when we are living in this category. When we become relentless to pursue God and live out of truth and let that truth change us. Those are the reasons why people respond differently to the gospel. There is no one of those reasons that gives you merit to not witness and share and try to make disciples. There is not one of those areas that is without hope. And so I challenge you and I that we begin to live out of the bigness of God, not out of the limitations that we perceive around us. And let us throw off the jacket of judgmental uh, attitudes, all right? And let's, let's ask God to open the eyes of our heart that we may begin to see as he sees and that we go by faith to whoever he sends us to to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you are just going to go next door. Some of you are going to go into your own neighborhood or in your workplace or wherever. Some of you are going to go overseas, all right, like, like Matt and Rachel are going to do, and we'll tell you all about that in, in, a, in a few Sundays here, all right? But the idea is that we go because we are now going in the image of Jesus Christ. Why is this important for you? Why, why, would, why would God want us to know this? I think there are a number of different reasons. Here's what I want you to understand today is that, that one thing is it, it reminds us that we cannot tell a true believer by their initial response to the gospel. We can't always 
We can't be judging by initial responses. And we can't be living out of initial responses. And I'm not, I'm not faulting any other time in, in which the church was moving and, and working. I'm not, I'm not uh, challenging any form of evangelism that we've seen in the past. I'm just simply saying that, that, that we need to be careful about how we are responding uh, to individuals. And I just don't want us as a church to, to live out of this idea that, well, it's, it's, it's the Bill and Dave show, and they get up on Sunday morning, and they give this little, little call, this little spill they do, and we all endure it uh, in the hopes that somebody's going to go up and get saved, and then it's all taken care of, and, and that person's all better, and that's great. And we all wash our hands, go back home, or go outside, get in our cars, and go back to our neighborhoods, go to sleep, and feel good about ourselves. It's not the way it works. It shouldn't work that way. We're not sure how everyone is going to respond to the gospel, but we're not going after a decision in Life Church, all right? We're not going after a quick little thing here. And then we pat our hands and say, good, look, somebody else got saved, and we got another number. I'll tell you what, it's one of the most heartbreaking things for myself and for Pastor Dave. And I would believe it would be for you too. And I'm sure you've been there as well as we have. But someone walks into our office and sits down with us and we spend you know, half an hour, hour, two hours, whatever. We talk to them about Jesus. We share the gospel with them. We care about them. We love on them. We pray with them. They make a decision. Yes, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. And we pray with them. And then we never hear from them again until three months later or five months later, and we get a phone call. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, hey, you know, I'm sorry I haven't been, you know, in touch with you, but, um, you know, I just, I just got put in jail, and I really need some help, you know, and I, I, want, I, wanna, I wanna get back on track. I'm like, dude, what happened? <laughs> what happened to you? You cried that day. You had tears streaming down your cheeks. You talked about following Jesus. And you walked out the door and you wouldn't answer your text messages or your or, or phone calls. Or you never came back to church. And I admit that sometimes it feels like, wow, is it even worth it? It is. It is. Whatever it takes for one. The shepherd will leave the 99 to go for the one. And it's worth it. But here's what we need, folks. Dave and I can't, we, we can't just be a, a corral that has an in-shoot and an out-shoot. And you send them over here to us and they come in and we talk to them and we pray with them and then we shoot them on out the door. It's not working. We need some of you. We need some of you who will say, hey, you know what? Give me just one. Give me one and I'll walk with you. I'll be at their door. I won't, I won't accept a not answered phone call or an ignored text message. I'll go find them. You're going to know where they live and you're going to know what they do and you're not going to give up on them and you're going to keep loving on them and you're not going to fall into your own rejection and 
all this kind of stuff. You're going to be able to be whole because you're in the Word and you're growing and you're maturing and you're going to be able to walk with that person over a season and help them. We have the best, in my opinion, the absolute best discipleship classes in the world right here. But not everybody's going to come to discipleship class. And we know that. Do we stop doing discipleship? No. We continue to do discipleship here. There are people who are growing because of our discipleship class. Some of you who came into this church uh, in, in the last year, year and a half, you started to come to discipleship class. It's been an impacting, growing time for you in particular. We are so grateful for that. It's a powerful time. But we need some of you who can walk along in a sort of mentoring kind of role with someone and hang with them over a period of time so that they can grow and they can be encouraged and they can be prayed for and, and helped. Sometimes we, I'm going to stop here. Sometimes we, um, we come to church and someone comes in and they're here a Sunday or, or two and, and they get really excited and God does something in their heart and really blesses them. And the next thing I hear is not them, but it's one of you going, hey, what happened to so-and-so? They were here for a while. Now they're not here anymore. I recognize your concern. And I know that it's so legitimate. I may offend some of you in this next moment, and I'll apologize to you up front if it offends you. But I'm going to tell you this. Don't ask me where they are. Go find them. Go call them. Do you, do you really care? Is your sole expectation on me that I am going to be the one that's always going to go and find them? Because I'm not. I'm going to find some of them. I'm going after as many as I can. But we're the priesthood of believers together here. We're the family. Isn't that what we are? Help me out here. Are we not a family? I mean, we've preached that and we've, we've, we've created that environment here. We're a family together. You, some of you got a better cell phone than I do. You got that little chick that'll tell you where they live. I don't have her. We're without excuse, guys. Come on. We're a family. We're a team here. We're working this thing together. We're doing it all together as a body of believers. And they're reacting differently to the gospel. But it's the same gospel. And, and we'll talk some more about this another time. But I want you to understand that I believe that, that Jesus is telling this to give us insight, to help us to understand so that we can strategically prepare ourselves as the body to go and win the lost and continue to share the gospel and not get burnt out and fried on it and not live in fear and cower and, and be afraid of it. I think God wants to get us excited about the gospel and get us excited about sharing it and give us the, the energy that we need to stay the long haul with people along the way. But what kind are you? Where are you? Where are you today? 